Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. If the very definition of a Christian is one that strives to be like Christ, are there people that look like Christians but really aren't? Well, Alicia Childers uh, writes an article for Impact 360 Institute, and it's so good at describing what progressive Christianity is. I just had to share it with you. And she says this. She says, a few hundred years after Jesus' resurrection, a man named Augustine found himself sucked into a cult called the Mancheans. Now, these Mancheans, they believed in Jesus used scripture to support their doctrines, and claimed their founder was the spirit of truth that Jesus promised would come after he ascended into heaven. Although Augustine was raised by a devout Christian mother, he became dazzled by the new and exciting promises that that put a fresh spin on the Christianity that he grew up with. It probably didn't hurt that their beliefs permitted him to sleep with his girlfriend while while pursuing his theological studies and and perfecting his his spiritual mind and as a philosopher a uh, perpetual deep thinker and of course you know kind of overall smart guy in the room right August, augustine had many questions that left his local uh, manchean leaders scratching their heads and and they promised that if he would just meet a guy named faustus all his questions would be answered. Now, Faustus was famous for being the most knowledgeable and acute and brilliant defender of Manchian uh, beliefs. And when Augustine was finally able to meet him, he found him to be the brilliant order everyone said he was. He observed Faustus' charm and, and his charisma, of course. Outside of those personality traits, however, Augustine found little to be impressed by. Faustus was not able to answer his questions, which caused Augustine to doubt his newfound belief system and eventually led him to become a true Christian. The Medicians believed that the, the teachings of Jesus were incomplete and that they had revelations that would usher in true religion for everyone. In this way, they believed religion could progress beyond what was revealed in Scripture. In order to defend these ideas, Faustus wrote against the reliability of the Bible. He would twist and reinterpret or omit parts of Scripture that didn't line up with the Manichaean thought. After Augustine's conversion to Christianity, he he wrote a fairly comprehensive response to Faustus' attack on the authorship of of the Gospels. And he wrote this. It's kind of interesting. He said, you ought to say plainly that you do not believe in the gospel of Christ. For to believe what you please and not to believe what you please is to believe yourselves and not the gospel. Kind of interesting and, and pretty deep when it comes to that kind of thing. Now, Augustine put his finger on a timeless truth. Christianity is not progressive. And those who try to mold it into their own preconceived ideas about who God should be and, and what the gospel should not try to twist scripture and, and, and to make you know, their, their points, 
and, and, and they certainly shouldn't call it Christian. But that is exactly what was happening in Augustine's time. And it is what is happening today. There is a growing movement in the church that seeks to reinterpret the Bible, to reassess his historic doctrines and redefine core tenets of the faith. All the while, this movement identifies itself as Christian and claims to follow Jesus and boasts a high view of Scripture. But as we'll see, they're leading many unsuspecting Christians astray and confusing the body of of Christ about what the Bible is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and, and what the good news of the gospel proclaims. But we shouldn't be surprised by any of this, of course. From uh, as early as the New Testament was uh, being written, heresies and, and false doctrines began finding their way into church. After all, Jesus was the one who told us that this would happen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Those aren't my words. Those are what Jesus warned. Jesus not only predicted that Christians would be tempted by these false doctrines, but pointed out that these teachings would be peddled by people who claimed to be Christians. They would look like sheep, walk like sheep, and talk like sheep, but they would not be sheep. They would be predators looking to feast on the sheep. What is emergent Christianity? Well, back in the early 2000s, some Christian leaders got together and attempted to adapt Christianity to the the postmodern mindset that was beginning to pervade the culture. They they were reexamining the methods the church had been using to reach the world and questioning some of the more more legalistic, hypocritical, and downright cheesy elements of modern evangelicalism. (laughs) But, But the movement began to embrace mysticism and Uh, emphasize spirituality over religion. Uh, Apologetics and theologians expressed concern over the lack of a concrete belief statement among those involved. And in 2006, emergent leader Tony Jones published an article written by the theologian Lee Ron Schultz on EmergentVillage.com. You don't have to go there. It's now a home and lifestyle magazine. But, But he published this about why there was no official statement of faith. Schultz wrote this. He said, A statement of faith tends to stop conversation. Too often they create an environment in which real conversation is avoided out of fear that critical reflection on one or more of the uh, sacred uh, propositions will lead to excommunication from the community. As the emergents distance themselves from a, a Christianity defined by beliefs and creeds, this different version of faith gained popularity among those disillusioned and disenfranchised by evangelicalism. Uh, this birthed, quote, a new kind of Christianity, which, of course, is the title of Brian McLaren's 2010 book. <laughs> In it, he argues that the Christian notion of a good creation being marred by original sin, redemption by blood and, and atonement, and the restoration of all things in heaven to be pagan ideas borrowed from Greco-Roman philosophy. McLaren claims that the the true gospel can be known by reading the Jesus story through a Jewish lens. According to McLaren, this means 
it's not really about who is in or out or who goes to heaven or hell when they die. He describes Jesus as a liberator king who came to offer a kingdom that has room for many religions and traditions within it. These type of, of kingdom champions, cause, uh, they, they have causes like, like health care and, and reform and green energy and climate change and, and regenerative economy. With, with this denial of original sin and, and the blood atonement of Jesus, an emphasis on social justice, this new kind of Christianity was largely opposed by evangelical church leaders. To this day, many think the emergent movement well, just sort of fizzled out. However, in 2012, blog post Brian McLaren wrote that although they still, they, you know, they, they don't still call it the emergent, it is actually stronger than ever. While it is true the movement was driven underground and the conversation continued, that the, the, the movement grew in boldness and in numbers and, and essentially reemerged as the progressive Christianity movement. The, the difference between emergent Christianity and progressive Christianity is location. While the emergents were on the, the, the fringe of, of Christian culture, the, the progressives now seem to be driving it. With progressive Christian leaders penning best-selling books and garnering millions of followers on social media platforms that, and, and producing podcasts that are regularly found in the top 10 of iTunes, religion, and spirituality category, their influence is incalculable. But a, a careful eye to church history will demonstrate that every generation of Christians have had false doctrines. Uh, you know, the the, they, they've had errant movements and, and, and wolves in, in sheep's clothing to deal with. Around the turn of the first century, church fathers, uh, father Ignatius was writing against the heretics of his day, and those were the Gnostics. His words carry a familiar ring, and you may, you may recognize it. He said, quote, For those that are given to this mix up Jesus Christ with their own poison, Speaking things which are unworthy of credit, like those who administer a deadly drug in sweet wine, which he who is ignorant of does greedily take with a fatal pleasure leading to his own death. For they speak of Christ, not that they may preach Christ, but that they may reject Christ. And they speak of law, not that they may establish the law, but that they may proclaim things contrary to it. For they alienate Christ from the Father and the law from Christ. They also calculate his being born of the virgin. They are ashamed of his cross. They deny his passion, and they do not believe his resurrection. (laughs) Does that sound familiar today? I mean, these words could be written about the progressive movement today. Progressive Christians tend to pit Jesus against the God of the Old Testament, declare the atonement to be a cosmic child abuse, and emphasize resurrection as uh, you know the, the illuminating of helpful metaphor over being a historical fact. By using many of the same words and, and maintaining the title Christian, they mix up Jesus Christ with their own poison. But like Augustine confronting Faustus and Ignatius opposing the Gnostics, we we can be encouraged to know that the historic gospel of Jesus Christ is still true, despite the many attacks against it. It's 
it's our turn to speak truth in the lies. And we have the faithful witness of the history historic church rooted in the reality of the of the resurrection and inspired scripture to give us the courage to do just that. So so what are the cultural signs of progressive Christianity? Have you ever picked up a, a popular book at the local uh, Christian bookstore only to be confused when you read statements like the Bible is primarily a human book? Or perhaps you've you've listened to a prominent Christian speaker only to be stopped in your tracks by their, you know, the, the, their ambiguity uh, regarding the, the biblical sexuality and, and same-sex relationships. And maybe you've read a, a blog post written by a Christian pastor who portrayed uh, the, the doctrine of a substantiary atonement as immoral and abusive. Maybe you've come across a tweet that claimed we need to be, we need to decolonize our uh, interpretations of Scripture. These are common ideas promoted within the progressive Christianity movement. Progressive Christianity can be a bit difficult to spot because, typically speaking, progressive Christians aren't united around an, an official creed or set of beliefs. In fact, progressive Christianity emphasizes action over belief, uh, what you do over who you place your faith in. They use much of the same vocabulary and historic uh, as, as historic Christians. Um, they practice many of the same sacraments like baptism and, and communion and may even sing hymns and recite ancient creeds um, and, and liturgies. However, the, the progressive Christians, uh, for them, the, these words, phrases, sacraments, and, and traditions take on a whole new meaning. This is why it, it can be confusing and frustrating to identify their I- ideas in popular books, blogs, podcasts, and sermons. However, there are some very concrete beliefs and, and assumptions that, that undergird this, this growing movement even if they're, they aren't recorded in an official creed, if <laughs> we can spot them. Moreover, there are certain warning signs to look for that can be culturally or theologically uh, theological in nature. Let's take a look at these, these cultural signs. From, from their refusal to offer a pinch of incense in worship of Caesar to their views on, on marriage or, or abortion, uh, from from the first century until now, Christians have been marked by the refusal to to um, capitulate to the the false ideas of culture. However, one of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is its tendency to flow with societal norms. In, in early 2019, progressive Lutheran minister Nadia Boltz Weber uh, wrote a book about uh, sexuality called shameless, a sexual reformation. In it, she argues that the idea that sex should be between one man and one woman within the the covenant of the marriage for life was was not just incorrect, it was harmful. She she recommended uh, reinventing the Christian sexual ethic to allow Christians to pursue sexual fulfillment as defined by the World Health Organization <laughs> as, as being grounded in consent and, and mutuality. 
with the with the biblical boundaries for sex removed, she writes, quote, whatever sexual flourishing looks like to, for you, that's what I would love to see happen in your life. That's directly from her page 60, right? With, with this uh, uh, redefinition of sexual flourishing, Boltz-Weber uh, appro- uh, approves of sex outside of marriage, even one-night stands, homosexual sex, and, and moderate use of pornography. And she isn't a lone voice in the wilderness. Shameless was endorsed and, and promoted by many other prominent progressives. And, 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 and Christian leaders such as, as Rachel Held Evans, um, Glennon Doyle, uh, Sarah Bessie, Richard Rohr, and, and, and Austin Channing Brown. With prominent progressive Christian uh, personalities like Jen Hatmaker and Sarah Bessie, as I said, Rob Bell and, and Jim Wallace, all speaking out in favor of same-sex marriage within the, the last couple of decades, one of the, the key goals of progressive Christianity is to change the church's mind on this hot-button issue. This gets us to rel- relativism. What's true for you is true for you type of thing, right? Relativism essentially claims that truth cannot be discovered, it cannot be known or argued for. In other words, no one can claim to understand reality which you might hear more commonly summarized in the mantra like, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. The problem is that Christianity doesn't give us the option to be relatives. Christianity is a belief system that is deeply rooted in absolute truth. In fact, it stands or falls based on a historical event being true or false. The the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, quote, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. You see, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we might as well pack it up and call it a day. I mean, generally speaking, the, the progress, pr- progressive Christian mindset has largely accepted a, you know, a real, a, 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 an unrealistic view of reality, which is why we often see progressive Christians refer to the resurrection as a non-literal metaphor and Old Testament historical narrative as mystical stories from which we can learn good moral lessons. One cultural trend that has become more and more accepted in the progressive Christian movement is the philosophy, uh, the, the philosophical concept called critical theory. Now, critical theory sees the world as a struggle between oppressed groups and their oppressors and seeks to recalibrate power in favor of the marginalized. This power is understood along the lines of race and gender and ethnicity and, and class and sexuality and, and many other factors. It, it downplays the idea that truth can be determined by rational thought and, and prioritizes lived experience and identity. In other words, those who have experienced greater oppression have greater ability to discern truth than those who are more privileged. 
Recently, progressive leader Jen Hatmaker wrote a post on on Facebook illustrating uh, views which seem to be informed by critical theory. She wrote this. She said, when white, mostly male, straight, married, uh, able-bodied people with certain threshold of money and power are at the center of the narrative, we will never correctly identify good fruit. Privilege is a reliable enemy of discernment, unquote. Now, interestingly, Hatmaker is in on all those categories except one, which, according to her statement, identifies her as highly privileged. <laughs> However, this post displays the, the, the logical incoherence of critical theory. According to her own statement, we should actually doubt her discernment, right? <laughs> Aside from its logical inconsistencies, uh, critical theory stands in opposition to the gospel on several points. It functions as a worldview that sees our identity as being how we relate to other groups uh, defined by our our race and our class and our gender and, and those type of things, rather than being you know image bearers of God. According to critical theory, sin isn't what is wrong with the world, but oppression which is fixed by activism, raised awareness, and the overthrow of oppressive systems rather than the blood atonement of Christ. We can all look around and see that something is terribly wrong with the world. There's just no doubt about that. As, as, as Christians, we observe the brokenness around us and, and, are, and are rightly grieved by the things like racism and poverty and exploitation and systematic oppression, those type of things. This is why utilizing um, critical theory can be an attractive option to solve some of these problems. It can seem like the loving and and just thing to do. However, critical theory isn't just a list of things that we can do to make the world better. It It isn't simply a philosophy that gives us practical tools for standing up to injustice as we fulfill the Great Commission. Critical theory actually functions as a worldview. And and when you lay it side by side with the Christian worldview, well, it stands in opposition at several points. Consider some questions every worldview um, accounts for and, and compare those to the answers given by the Christian worldview. Like this, who are we? According to the Christian worldview, Human beings are a special creation made in the image of God himself. According to the, the critical theory, our identity is not found in who, who we were created to be, but in how we relate to other groups as defined by our class, gender, and sexual preference, and etc. So what is wrong with the world? According to the Christian worldview, God created a good world that has become marred by sin. Well, critical theory sees oppression rather than sin as the core of what's wrong in the world. How about the the question of how is this problem fixed? According to the Christian worldview, the problem of sin is cured by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross who paid for our sins and reconciled us to God and, 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 and secure victory over the powers of sin and death. According to critical theory, the problem of oppression is fixed by activism, raised awareness, and the overthrow 
of progressive systems and their power. How about what is the meaning of life? Well, the Christian worldview teaches that the meaning of life is to glorify God, whereas critical theory teaches it to be it's to free groups from oppression. As Christians, we are called to do good works. There's there's no question about it. In, in fact, James two twenty six tells us that faith without works is dead. But when someone begins to adopt the idea of critical theory, it can slowly start to erode their Christian worldview by taking their eyes off of the eternal truths of who God is and what he's done in the world. For example, critical theory classifies the biblical definition of sexuality as oppressive, a problem to be solved. This has confused many, and and an unexpecting Christian can can even be be cause this can be cause for many to to slowly slide into progressive Christianity, which exchanges a grace based gospel for a works based gospel. As you can see, progressive Christian uh, beliefs regarding culture are heavily influenced by secular thought rather than biblical revelation. When biblical teachings become socially unacceptable, progressive Christianity tends to ebb and flow with culture rather than following the historic Christian tradition of upholding biblical truth. Let's look at some theological signs of how those points fail to align with historic Christianity. The 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 theory see theory matters and theology matters because beliefs are connected with behavior in addition to this fact one's uh, theology also reveals the true source of authority serving as the ultimate foundation i, I am going to be faithful to scripture or conform to what is culturally comfortable which one a recent example of, uh, of this um is the book Untamed by Glendon Doyle, which is number one on Amazon's Christian self-help category and currently number one on the New York um, Times bestseller list. It's, it is written from a loosely Christian perspective, uh, utilizes scripture and speaks about God. And it speaks about faith, speaks about Christianity and morality. It also teaches that you can find God within yourself, promotes moral relativism, teaches that sexuality and gender are fluid and blames the Bible for creating a culture that oppresses women. How can someone who is accepted within a Christian you know, paradigm believe and teach these things? The answer to that question can be found by understanding progressive Christianity. Progressives are not just a group of Christians who are changing their minds on social issues and, and politics. According to their most prominent thought leaders and authors and speakers, they often deny core essential doctrines of faith, which leads them to preach an entirely different gospel. Let's look at some of the, the, uh, the, the, the theological signs to identify this movement, can we? Progressive Christians view the Bible as a record of what people believed about God in in the times and places in which they lived, rather than the inspired and authoritative Word of God. It's not uncommon for a progressive Christian to express 
you know, disagreement with a biblical writer or to reject the passages they find un- unhelpful. In fact, progressive leader Richard Rohr encourages uh, Christians to ignore and deny and even openly oppose scripture that are, as he puts it, imperialistic, punitive, and exclusionary or tribal. This matters because if if we give ourselves permission to deny or ignore the scriptures, that that, that, that and, and the scriptures that don't fit our our preconceived ideas about who God is and and how He acts in the world, well, we will have effectively transferred the authority of truth from the Bible to our own thoughts and our own feelings and 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 preferences. For example, they they see the atonement as as cosmic child abuse, for instance, progressive Christians generally reject the doctrine of, of original sin, training it for a concept called original blessing or original goodness. If we aren't inherently sinful and separated from God by our sin, well, Jesus' death becomes more of an example of love and forgiveness to follow than an atoning sacrifice that, that uh, reconciles us to the Father. There are various atonement uh, theories that are based on Scripture and help us have a a complete picture of what Jesus uh, accomplished on the cross. Um, Christus Victor uh, helps us understand that Jesus came to uh, defeat the powers of sin, death, and the devil. The Bible uses language of ransom to describe a price being paid. The moral influence theory gives us Jesus as uh, an example of love and forgiveness to follow. The penal su- uh, substitutionary atonement theory um, illustrates how Jesus took the punishment of our sin sins upon himself and sacrificed the wrath of God um, with that, that we should have received. All of these theories come together to give us a complete picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. In progressive circles, however, the idea that God would require the blood sacrifice of his only son makes God the father out to be some kind of divine child abuser. Thus, they they often deny the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Michael Gunder, he's a musician and host of the Liturgist podcast, wrote this. He says, quote, I would love to hear more artists who sing to God and fewer who include a father murdering a son in that endeavor. And he also wrote, that God needed to be appeased with blood is not beautiful. It's horrific. This, this shift matters because without the substitutionary atonement of Christ, there is no mechanism for the individual to be reconciled to God. In the, in the progressive view, Jesus defeats the power of sin and death and gives us an example to follow, but gives us no substitution for the sins that we actually commit. So let, let's pause here. Let's, let's continue this next time. And I'm going to just say right here that we, that we will follow up and we will, we will complete this uh, on Friday. But for now, thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.